We continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount, so I hope you have your Bibles open to Matthew 5. Uh, it was wonderful to hear the choir this morning. I, it's, just been, it's been a long time. Um, I'm also happy that you only sang 42 seconds. I thought you were going to sing the first or second portions of the Messiah, since we haven't heard you that long. And that Next week, okay. All right, be warned. And... Uh, Certainly my joy will be more complete when the Stonehill Brass plays again. So even so, come Stonehill Brass. I think it's fair to say that in every time and every place, the church has struggled, God's people have struggled with how do we make an impact in a world that seems hopelessly flawed, hopelessly moving at 120 miles an hour in the wrong direction. Christians have struggled with that. And of course, there's been all kinds of attempts by Christians in the past that some believe they needed to bring in a theocracy into the government, and they tried that. It didn't work too well. Others have thought, you know, we need to... We need to mobilize in, in some political way. And again, there's not nothing wrong necessarily with doing some of that. But what is fascinating about the text that we're looking at this morning is that Jesus, I think, provides us as God's people with a way forward in how we as people who used to be in the kingdom of darkness and now we've been placed into the kingdom of Jesus And of course, we are awaiting the future consummation of that kingdom. But how do we impact this world that is is overrun by darkness? What do we do? How do we respond? And what's interesting about this text is it's not comprehensive, right? There's, There's all kinds of things we can and probably should do. But at a foundational level... What Jesus provides for us in Matthew 5 in this text that we're going to look at this morning is a way forward. In some sense, this is the foundational way we together need to to do, that we, we need to operate according to in order to impact the world. If we don't do what this text tells us to do, anything else we do will fail and fail miserably. And so what I want us to do this morning is to get our heads around three realities of how the kingdom of Christ, how the kingdom of God extends and expands in a dark world. Let's look at the first. The first way, the first uh, sort of pathway, the first foundational uh, statement, and we Let's go to verse 13 of Matthew 5. It says, you are the salt of the earth, right? And if you go to verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. And what we have to understand, I think, firstly, about how to impact the world, you have to understand, we have to understand, those of us who used to be in the kingdom of darkness, but by God's grace, we are now in this new rule and reign of Christ. We are called salt of the earth and light of the world. 
In other words, what Jesus says is that everyone who's been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and is in this new kingdom, we have been identified, part of our identity is that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. This is not necessarily a statement of aspiration, it's just true of you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world by grace. It's your identity, it's your kingdom identity. And it's your kingdom identity in particular of how you're going to relate to the, the, the kingdom of darkness that we have to live in, in and through. We live in the world, not of it, as Jesus says. And we are called salt and light. This is who we are. It's interesting in, 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 in this text, in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Jesus himself in John 8 calls himself the light of the world. So in a very real sense, these identity statements connect us back to Jesus. He was the light of the world, and we too are the light of the world as we have been rightly brought in to this kingdom. It's a fact. It's a reality. And the reality is, you know, for us, is you can't take a day off from being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I know some of you like to do that. I'm taking a vacation today. You know, you should wear a name tag. World, you're on your own today. I'm off. No. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It's part of your gospel identity. It's true of you by grace. And this is the identity we need to hold on to. This is the identity we need to believe. This is the identity that ought to frame the way we view ourselves in particular, the way we view ourselves in relationship to the kingdom of darkness that seems so pervasive and so powerful. One more to say in the, the next two points, but I, I think it would be a good idea for, for many of us just to write it out on a little three by five card. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. That's who you are. And you are that even if your, your light's pretty dim. It, you are that even if your salt's not that salty this week. It's still true. You're still salt, you're still light. To remind yourself before you go to your first class tomorrow morning, before you go to your elementary school, before you go to your middle, and high, middle school or high school, before you go to work, before you get on that next Zoom meeting, to read, I am the salt of the earth, I am the light of the world. That is who you are by grace. It's your identity. So that's the first reality, the first thing we need to get our hearts wrapped around. But there's a second reality, and, 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 and I, I want to get to this in, 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 by asking the question, how do those two identities impact our world? So back up to verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And then he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. When it says you are the salt of the earth, I, I, I'm sure I've, I've heard dozens and dozens of sermons. I think my dad even preached on this a couple times. And I, with a little bit of trepidation, you know, he, he talked about salts, you know, flavors food and salt preserves food. And that's, and that's, that's what this is talking about. And that's not bad. And if that's your, what's in your head, you can hold on to that. 
But I think it's more likely that the salt that Jesus is talking about would, be, would have been the salt that they would have taken from around the edge of the Dead Sea and they would have used it primarily as a fertilizer. The salt would have been used, would, would have been used to fertilize an area of ground that wasn't bearing fruit. And so what I think Jesus is, is saying here, this, that we are the salt of the earth. We are to be people, this is our identity, who fertilize uh, the, the, the people that we, we live with and the people that we work with and the people we go to school with and fertilize simply by living in light of our gospel and kingdom identity, live in such a way that we fertilize, we make a, a, a soil more fertile for spiritual growth. And I think when you map this, we are the salt of the earth. It's interesting it says we are the salt of the earth too. Right? I think it also points us in the direction of fertilizing being the main sort of uh, understanding of salt to the earth. But I think it's also when you map what Jesus says to the parable of the soils, if you remember that parable, Jesus tells the story of someone who goes out and he's sowing seed and he, he throws some seed out onto a, a path that has a lot of hardened soil. And before the seed can even begin to grow, birds come in and snatch the seed away. Again, the seed is viewed as the word of God. And then you have other places where, where the, 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 the sower sows the seed and it's, it's on rocky soil, thin soil. The plant that begins to grow can't develop a, a, you know, enough of a root system. And when the sun comes, trials, difficulties, the plant dies. Or on other soil where the, 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 the seed bears fruit and begins to grow, but then there's thorns and there's weeds and there's thistles and the cares of the world choke out the spiritual growth. And then, of course, this sower puts seed on soil that bears fruit where spiritual growth takes root and grows and develops. And I think what it means when it says you are the salt of the earth, that part of our gospel and kingdom identity as we are people who in living our lives surrounded by other people who, like we were in the kingdom of darkness, we are to live in such a way out of our kingdom identity that fertilizes the soil, that, 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 that makes the soil of someone else's life more open to hearing about Jesus. And of some other principles about salt, salt, in order to be effective as a fertilizer or as a savoring, uh, you know, to savor or to preserve, uh, you know, meat, etc., salt has to be in direct contact with whatever it is fertilizing, with whatever it is, you know, you know, savoring the, the, the food or bringing out the flavor or whether it's preserving. The salt has to be in direct contact with the other entity in order to be effective. Salt in a salt shaker sitting in your cabinet does nothing. So if we're the salt of the earth and that is our gospel and kingdom identity, the only way for us to live consistently out of that identity, we have to be in close contact with other people. And this is what makes me nervous. I know you, I know myself. We're busy. Most of you are too busy. Trust me, you are. And the problem I think we have is that we don't have direct contact with people enough so that our salt 
witness as our gospel identity has any chance to be effective. I don't know if your neighborhood's like mine. I think my, my neighborhood is a, is a typical New Jersey neighborhood. We don't often say hello to one another. We certainly don't visit one another unannounced. That would be met with, well, interesting words. We don't spend enough time. We're too busy. Busy with our career, busy with good things. But to spend time in direct contact with people is the only way we can live out our identity. Boy, I hesitate to do this to a Princeton audience. Here's a book you ought to read so you can have more theoretical knowledge of what is a very practical point. But if you were to read a book that I think speaks to us and probably convicts us in our busy world, it's called Rosaria Butterfield, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. This is a woman who was far away from Jesus, um, pretty hostile to Jesus, pretty suspicious of Christians, actually. Um, uh, got invited to someone's house, a Christian's house, where other Christians were there, and had this hospitality going on week after week after week after week. And over time, even though she thought that, that these Christians would be judgmental, hateful, not the kind of people I want to be with. They're probably going to talk about my sin, and blah, blah, blah. Over time, through the hospitality of these believers, she comes to faith in Christ. And now, she is, practices radical hospitality. So let me warn you, if you do read this book, you're going to be convicted. This, you, you can't start where this woman starts. She has people over at her house every night, okay? You're not going to do that, okay? You're New Jerseyans, okay? You're not going to do that. But to open up your home, and again, when you open up your home, and she's very clear about it, sometimes I think when we have hospitality, we have to have a Martha Stewart moment. House has to be immaculate, nine-course meal. No, you're just hanging out with friends, hanging out on the back porch. A lot of hospitality is not simply having people over for a meal. It's introducing yourself even on a Sunday morning to the masked person you don't know their name who probably isn't wearing a main tag, name tag because they're rebellious. <laughs> Hospitality is what you do at your, uh, you know, wherever lunch is served in your high school or your middle school, and there's someone who's alone, and you notice they're alone. They're not part of your peer group. They may be ostracized. They may be marginalized, and you go out of your way to introduce yourself and bring them into the circle of your friends. It's getting to know your neighbors. Good question. How many of you know the neighbors in your street? How many of your neighbors would be surprised if you announced to them, I'm your neighbor? Really? How about coworkers? Spending time with them, taking them out to lunch, listening to them, talking to them. Again, the reality is salt of the earth. That is your identity. That is who you are. And simply by being in direct contact with other people, your saltiness is going to make an impact. But you've got to have direct contact. Or your identity can't be lived out real well. We shouldn't be surprised by this. This is what Jesus did, right? When he came, the God became flesh, took on a human body. What did Jesus do? He went to weddings. 
He was always at a dinner party, causing trouble, but he was always at a dinner party. The Bible says he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He hung out with the marginalized, the people that no one else wanted to be with. He was at the party. He spent three years with 12 people, essentially. And what had happened? There's 120 people in the upper room and the Spirit of God poured out. And now there are millions and millions, if not over a billion people who claim to know Christ, not to mention all the others who've already passed on. I mean, this is how the kingdom of God extends and expands through the personal contact, direct contact when we, who are salt of the earth, that's our kingdom identity, simply are in direct contact with other people. Influence happens. It's the way of the kingdom. Think about what Jesus also said about the kingdom. He compared it to the mustard seed, which is a very small seed, one of the smallest seeds ever. Very small seed, but when it grows, it grows into a gigantic piece of vegetation where the birds make their homes in. It's the way of the kingdom. Now, he also says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. What Jesus is saying is we, by gospel and kingdom identity, we are the light of the world, which means we need to let our light shine. We need to be visible. We need to be seen. We, we need to, to live our lives in such a way that we expose the, uh, the futility of the kingdom of darkness and we expose the beauty of the kingdom, but also the beauty of the King, Jesus Christ. And, and the, the reality is this is our gospel identity. This is our kingdom identity. You are a light. And, and really the only way to stop yourself from being a light is to put a bushel under it, to cover it up. like a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Part of our gospel and kingdom identity is we are the light of the world and what it means is we have to just live our lives before people in such a way that we're pointing people to Christ, we're exposing the futility of the kingdom of darkness and and we live out our identity in such a way that we point people to Jesus, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The whole focus of our lives is to be, provide a beacon of hope, a beacon of, of, of light to, to show the world the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But again, if you cover that thing up, you can't live out your gospel identity very well. And that's my fear, my fear for myself, my fear for you, is that we sometimes do that. I think there's only one other person in this room who cared about what happened yesterday in Dallas, Texas. It's Leslie Dahl right here. She's wearing black appropriately because she's a University of Texas Longhorn fan. She graduated, she says, from that school. I trust her. And every year on the first Saturday of October, they play the University of Oklahoma in what's called the Red River Rivalry, Red River Showdown or whatever. And it's kind of an amazing game. Half the stadium, about 80,000 people, is in burnt orange, the colors that Leslie would have worn yesterday before she now wears black. 
burnt orange. The other side of the stadium, the other 40,000 people, wear red for the University of Oklahoma. Now, you know I've spent a lot of time in Texas, but I was born in Oklahoma, and my birth trumps where I lived. So I always root for the University of Oklahoma. Well, I had a boss once uh, when I was in college. He was from Oklahoma, living in Dallas. He loved the Oklahoma Sooners, and he always wanted to go to the game, and he finally got tickets. He's a huge Oklahoma fan, but he got tickets more cheaply, but he got tickets on the University of Texas side. Not good. So he goes to the game, and he has a little bit of wisdom, because what he did is he put on a University of Texas jersey so he could blend in with the other 40,000 crazies. So he does that. He said it was very hard for him because he was rooting for Oklahoma, but he was acting as if he was for the University of Texas. And at the end of the game, the University of Oklahoma intercepted a pass. They ran into the end zone. They had a 13-point lead. And in a moment of madness, he took off his University of Texas jersey to reveal his University of Oklahoma jersey. And so now there's 40,000 people in burnt orange and one idiot in red. He lived to tell the story. <laughs> Barely. But I fear we do the same thing. I suspect in this room this morning, you've got your Kingdom of Jesus jersey on. And you sing, oh great God, occupy my lowly heart. We're gonna sing, be thou my vision in a few minutes. And you, 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 you worship this God. And, and, and in, that, in this moment today, I think a lot of us, I hope most of us or all of us are saying, yes, Lord, you're everything. I want to live for your kingdom. And tomorrow morning, you'll be tempted to put on a different jersey and blend in. There are some people in our lives, I think, that probably don't even know we're followers of Jesus because we've never said it, anything about it. We lay low, we put a bushel over our lives, and we don't even talk to people in normal ways about our faith. Again, I'm not talking about, don't get a t-shirt and say, I'm part of the kingdom of Jesus, you're in the kingdom of darkness, <laughs> repent the kingdom of, don't do, don't do that. And if you do that, don't say you're from Stonehill Church. But there's a lot of ways to be light that's somewhat normal. I mean, someone's gonna ask you tomorrow, what did you do over the weekend? And you could say in a normal human way, you could just describe briefly, okay, no sermons, I went to church and, and heard a great sermon. <laughs> <laughs> don't lie, okay, don't lie. You can't, be, you, can't, you can't be the light of the world and lie. But to say, you know, you, know, you, could, you, you honestly, I mean, whatever God does for you this morning, but you can say, this is a place where I, give, I recenter my life on what's really important. This is a place that reminded me that, that I'm forgiven by God's grace. I mean, you, not a sermon, just to be honest. You've got neighbors. Get to know them. Introduce yourself. And let them know in a normal human being way what, where your faith lies. And not a sermon, just, just talk in a normal way. 
It's amazing. We, we're part of the kingdom of, of God, right? We're in a kingdom that is ultimately going to restore the entire universe. So our future is totally secure. And we hide, we protect ourselves, and even the closest people, the people we work with, the people we go to school, the people that in our neighborhoods have no idea what is the most important thing in our life. One more thing you could say, part of being a light is to offer to pray for someone. Again, if you're in close contact with someone, salt of the earth, you're liable to get to know things about your neighbor, your coworkers, your classmates. And they're struggling with something. And one of the, one of the things I, I often do is say, I, I'll be praying for you. And when I get really bold, I say, can I pray for you right now? And, and you might get pushback, but I would say 99 of the 100 people I've done that say, sure, pray. You know, well, let me hedge my bets. But you begin to pray, and what happens? The light of the kingdom of Christ begins to flow through you to someone else as you do something very simple like praying for them. There's more that we could say about all of that. But I think we'll leave that. How do these two identities, being light of the world and being salt of the how do they play out in the world? If you want to be, you are the salt of the earth, close contact with someone. That's the way salt works. Light of the world, you're open, you're transparent, you let people know, and you're pointing people to Jesus. That's the second pathway to being part of this upside-down kingdom that Jesus wants to extend and expand. Do one more thing before we close. Put it in the form of a question. But how does the Sermon on the Mount relate to this salt and light passage that are in the text? And I think what Jesus is saying is, yes, you are the salt of the earth. That's your identity. You're going to be the salt. You are the salt even if you're not that salty this week. You are the light of the world even if you're covering it up. Or your light's kind of dim. But, 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 but what I, I, I think you have to connect this to the rest of the sermon. In other words, if we really are going to be the most effective salt of the earth, if we're going to be the most effective light of the world, we have to embody all the other foundational elements of Christ and his kingdom. So let's just take a look at a few of these. Let's look at love your enemies. We'll get to this in a couple of months here, Matthew 5, 43. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There's an element of the kingdom. It's interesting, Jesus says, love your neighbors and love your enemies. Why? Because they're usually the same person eventually. Love your enemies. We, if you haven't noticed, the kingdom of darkness, the present form of that in our country right now, is there's so much hate. There's so much division. People can't talk to one another. Conservatives can't talk to progressive. Progressive can't talk to, to conservatives. And conservatives and progressives hate the moderates because they say they have, no, you know, they have no convictions. It's a mess. 
I mean, Facebook is unbelievable. Get off of it. It almost went down last week. That was a blessing for five hours. <laughs> There's so much hate. There's so much division. And here's the thing. We are part of a completely different kingdom. We are under the rule and reign of Christ. We, we, we are in a totally new, new entity that Jesus is, 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 is in the process of doing. And what a difference it would make if this, if we, if we, salt of the earth and light of the world, were the one group of people that loved people who didn't like us. Can you imagine what that would do? I know, you, I know in your workplace, you probably have people that drive you crazy. When's the last time you did something nice? When's the last time you overcame evil with good? When's the last time you prayed for that person and then moved towards them as salt and light? Love your enemy. Completely upside down, completely different than the rest of the world. Here's an interesting part of the kingdom. This is who we're supposed to be. Matthew 6, 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus goes on to say, if God cares for birds and if he cares for the animals, he's gonna care for you because you're part of his kingdom. He loves you, he cares for you. But how many of us are just as anxious as everybody else in the world? Don't raise your hands but it's not gonna do us any favors to try to be salt and light and try to live in this different upside down kingdom if we're as freaked out as everybody else about the world. We of all people who are part of a kingdom that will not, cannot be destroyed, it ultimately will remake the entire universe. How can we be undone by what is happening in the world? There's a, a family in our church. Um, and they've been struggling with a very difficult health diagnosis for one, of, uh, one person in that couple. Uh, it's a terminal diagnosis. It's, it's a disaster. It's awful. And yet, this couple goes to the doctor's appointments and the physician's assistants and the technicians and everyone they meet, and they are constantly telling people I know this is bad, but I trust God because I know he's in this and I know he's gonna take me to be with him and until he does take me, I've got work to do. I am content. You know what kind of salt and light that is in those doctor's offices? And the kind of massive impact that's made from someone simply living out their identity as salt and light. My father was uh, 16 years old. I, I've shared some of this story before, but it, it bears repeating. He was 16 years old. He grew up in the church, and he had never heard the gospel preached. It's a horrible thing. Even in Oklahoma City, no gospel, never heard it before. A group of his peers, who were also 16, decided to be salt to him, and they met him and they connected with him and they invited him to play on a softball team. Okay, that's not preaching. 
That's not a sign that says repent, the kingdom of God is near. You know, that's, this norm, that's normal, human being. But these are students who had come to faith in Christ a few months before, and they just connected with my dad and invited him to play softball. The way my dad tells it, he started to play softball with him and immediately realized these students were unlike any other people that he had ever met. They didn't get mad at the umpires when there were bad calls. It didn't matter how bad you played, they encouraged you. They didn't keep people off the bench to make sure everybody played. And he goes, what is this? This is a weird group. And then that group kept being salt and then they began to be the light. They invited him to a Bible study. That's not big actions. That's just living out salt and light in a normal way. He comes to the Bible study. He starts looking into God's word. And what he says, that over a period of weeks, he realized this group of my peers, these other 16-year-olds who, who, who go to my high school and go to area high schools, they are unlike any other group of people I've ever been, even my own church. And I want what they want and want what they have. And through their salt and light, their identity, that's who they were, salt and light, they began to connect, they began to show their, their light to the world, to him. And they, began to, they were living out much of the Sermon on the Mount. And that was the fertilizing effect of their salt and the enlightening effect of, of the light that they had as they reflected the beauty of glory of Jesus that led my dad to put his faith and confidence in Christ alone. That's what it means to be salt and light. One last thing the Sermon on the Mount talks about forgiving people. You know, the kingdom of God is all about forgiveness, right? You can't get into the kingdom unless God forgives you of all your sin. And then we that are in the kingdom turn around and we don't forgive people who harm us. Go figure. Not good salt, not good light. It's an interesting story. You ought to read about this. Back in the late 1800s, the gospel began to be preached in Korea, which was very few believers no churches. The gospel began to grow, but the growth was very slow. In about 1905, 1906 time frame, it was a small Korean church with some missionaries that were you know, leading that small church, very small number of believers there. And what happened is God began to convict not only the church with Koreans in it, but also the missionary, to, to convict them of the bitterness they had to one another. The missionary confessed to his church, this is, this is a, you know, I don't know how this guy survived, he confessed that he, he had racist thoughts about his congregation. And the congregation said, well, we're racist too, we don't like you, because you're white. And they had this immense period of confession of sin where they forgave one another, and they put aside their bitternesses, And they began to live more consistently as part of the kingdom. They began to be more living out the identity of their salt and light. And when that happened, revival broke out. The kingdom of God just exploded. And now, over 100 years later, the country that sends out the most 
workers for Christ around the world per capita is Korean. And how did it start? When a group of people who were already in the kingdom started to live more consistently like the kingdom and like the king. People who were already salt and light but began to live out that salt and light in a more consistent way. That's how the kingdom, foundationally, that's how God's kingdom grows and extends. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, each one of us who know you as personal savior, we're in your kingdom and our new gospel and kingdom identity is that we're salt and light. By your grace, Lord, help us to be salt and light in all of the contexts that you put us in, work, school, different clubs we may be part of in town, in our neighborhoods, in our families. And I pray that you would help us to live more consistently with these kingdom realities that are true of us, that we would, but that we would be more consistently in who we are. I pray also that we would not hide the light that you've given to us in Christ, the light of the world that we are, but that we would be open, we would engage in a normal way in letting people know about the light that was given to us by grace and the light emanating from our lives that points people to Jesus. Help us, Lord, and may your kingdom extend. May your kingdom grow. May your kingdom flourish in our lives together corporately, even as we await the future consummation of that kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name.